Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, remember where we left off, okay? I always want to go back and I always want to kind of give you a background. Remember where we left off. The two angels and the Lord Jesus himself, this is known as a Christophany or a Theophany. It's the pre-incarnate Christ coming and showing himself way before he comes as a little baby in a manger and then grows up to be a man. He's coming, right? And think about it. They come to visit Abraham while Abraham's sitting at the doorway of his tent. And chapter 18 starts off where it says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. So, so it wasn't like Abraham sitting there and he kind of sees them walking. I kind of try to picture it, but it said the Lord just sort of appeared, these two angels and the Lord. And when that happens, you know it's going to be, the day's going to be really good. When two angels and the Lord Jesus himself comes, it's going to be a really good day. But can you imagine if it was that? Can you imagine? I want you to picture yourself sitting at your front porch, okay, and... Here comes Jesus down the sidewalk. There you are sipping your tea and Jesus and two angels coming. I mean, and you know him. I mean, you could imagine, right? You can just be like, what is this? What? What? Right? No. Here's what we learned. We learned the lesson that Abraham wanted to teach us last week or through the word of God. We learned about hospitality. Okay? And if you recall, guys, think about this. It was the hottest part of the day. It was the hottest part of the day. Abraham looks up. These three men appear standing in front of him. And again, it's hot. And I'm talking, it's not 90 degrees, you know, a little bit of humidity. I mean, this is, this is down in Israel. This is in the Negev desert there. This is, this is in the, I'm sorry, the Judean desert. And it's really, really hot. And there's Abraham. And he's, well, think about it. But that doesn't mean anything to him. Because what he does is he runs, guys. He runs and he bows down to them. And the first thing we learned about that is, remember, the term for bowing down means to worship. That's really the key. That's the word that we're pulled out of the Hebrew language. He comes in, he worships, he worships. And it's the first time that it's ever used in the Bible. And remember, in something called expositional constancy, whenever a first word is mentioned, that's going to be how it's going to be used throughout the Bible. And so when he comes, he comes in, he worships, he bows down. And that's kind of the song we're singing. We bow down. And, and here's what we need to really understand. A lot of times we worship a lot of things, but worship always belongs to the Lord. We have to grasp that. Worship always belongs to the Lord. And you go, well, Ben, tell me exactly what worship is. Because, listen, I grew up, I have a church background, and, and I know it's the music, and we come in, and I sort of sway a little bit, but I don't want to get too crazy, and I lift my hands. But, I mean, what is worship? What is, what is what, well, here's the way it's defined. It's a feeling or an expression of reverence or adoration for a deity. It's worship. And, and, and again, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about, now again, that's what Abraham does. He sees them, he comes down, he knows, and he begins to worship. Now, if we were to look in the New Testament, the New Testament Greek word is most often translated worship is proskuno, proskuno, and and it's to fall down before or bow before in worship. That's what it means. So if we said goodbye to Hebrew and we said, what does it really mean in the Greek language? What does it really mean in the New Testament? It means the same thing. It means to fall down before. Worship, guys, is a state, an attitude of our spirit. That's what worship is. And since it's internal, 
an individual action, it could be or should be done most of the time, really all of the time in our lives, regardless of the place or the situation. Why is that key? Because we have a tendency in Western America that when something good happens, we say, well, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. That's kind of our like, hey, how's that? How did, did you get an A in that paper? Amen. You know, whatever it might be. But, but it's so much more when it says, praise the Lord. Right? It's, 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 it's worship. It's worship. And that's the thing, to bow down before her. Here's an interesting fact. How do we look at our lives at this point? You have to kind of go, am I bowing down before anything else? Am I worshiping anything other than who's worthy to be worshiped? And we always have to do, often have to do a hard check and go, okay, Lord, where am I? But that's exactly what it means because Abraham shows us he runs to the Lord Jesus and he bows before the Lord. He bows before the Lord. Everybody got that. Now, let me just give you a side note because I see something really, really important, okay? Every time in Scripture, whenever we see there was an angel or a man that is worshipped, they always speak up and say, please don't worship me. I'm just a man. Please don't worship me. They always say that. As a matter of fact, let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 14, verses 10 through 15, it says, so Paul, we know him, the apostle Paul, he says, Called to him in a loud voice. He says, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. So the apostle Paul in Acts heals somebody. And he says, get up. And the guy starts walking. I mean, what a great miracle, right? Well, the result is, it says this. And when the crowd saw that Paul, what he had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. So now the crowd's getting crazy. They saw this and they go, hey, these gods have come down. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now, the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priests of the temple and the crowd brought bulls, wreaths, flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer a sacrifice to the apostles. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, here's what they did. They tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who are made with heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. The point is is that they began to worship Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas said, No! No, get up, don't do this. They were willing to offer a sacrifice to them. Hey, you're, you, you, you remind me of Zeus, and you're the chief speaker, so you must be Hermes. Uh, he's like, no, 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 see? So as, as, as people are bowing down and worshiping men, they're saying, no, 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 no. How does that affect our lives? Guys, when you let that permeate, and maybe you're sitting at home, and you're, and you're, uh, watch, you're just flipping through the channels, and you see... You know, and then you'll have a televangelist and he's up there and, and he's very proud and people really, man, it's, we don't worship men, do we? We do not worship men. But a lot of us do. Oh, did you, oh, that's my favorite singer. That's my favorite pastor. That's my favorite evangelist. And, and what we've seen lately is that a lot of the pastors will fall because they're not supposed to be worshiped. Guys, listen, if you want to know somebody who, wants to be worshipped, they'll never point you to Jesus. 
you did such a great sermon. Praise God, it's the Lord. Whenever somebody goes, man, praise amen. Yeah, I, I think I got this thing. Hey, send more money to my ministry. No, 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 no. It should always be pointing to Jesus. Okay? We go, what about angels? Well, another example we find in Revelation, guys, when we think about angels. In Revelation 22, 8 and 9, he says, I, John, am the one who heard all these things. And when I heard them, I saw and I fell and worshiped at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. So John's going, oh, right? But the angel said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in the book. He says, worship only God. Whenever we worship, people, men should say, no, don't worship me, I'm a servant like you. The angels say, don't worship me, I'm a servant like you. Everybody got that? Why is that important? Because when Abraham comes and he worships the Lord, the Lord receives that worship. The Lord's like, amen. He doesn't say, don't worship me. That's because he is the Lord. And you can see and pull that out of Scripture and go, oh, okay, okay. He always receives our worship. So just a wonderful nugget of truth. So back in our study, last week we learned that worship, right? He's worshiping. It always and always precedes requests. You can see that there. And so often when we learn to pray, come on, let's be honest, we often come into the throne room and we often come just asking for what we want and what we need. A lot of times that's how we get to pray. It's like, oh God, please, okay, in Jesus' name, I need this and don't forget this. And Lord, why am I going through this? And this just really stinks. And, and, and we're in the throne room and, and we forget how holy and magnificent God is. And Abraham teaches us, and we need to learn this, is that as we approach the throne room, we should then approach it with an attitude of worship. Even before we ask for anything. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. Thank you. Thank you, God. I adore you. I love you. There is none like you. I believe in you. I trust you with all my heart. And now, God, I come humbly before you. And then you can ask for your petition and you can intercede for other people guys that's what prayer is but be so careful guys when we pray guys sometimes we just feel like we're praying to hear each other and that usually happens when we're when we're what when we're having dinner okay everybody pray amen the lord bless this food amen but we need to take some time to go back and say no let's really think are we really grateful that god has blessed us and that we have great jobs and we have money and he's provided food on the table See, we don't want to be legalistic and go, you have to pray like that. But what we want to do is we want to have that attitude of reverence to God and say, this is who he is. And I miss it so many times. We get so busy. I'm just going to pray like this. 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 And, uh, but we learn. We learn. Uh, Let's purpose, guys, today to offer praise to the Lord before we ask. Not in a means to, I mean, I know what people think, oh, you're just trying to butter up God. You know, God, you're so handsome. You're so wonderful. Man, I wish they're, they're you know, and, and, and then they say, but God, you know what? I really need a new, right? Whatever you need, whatever it is, you can, I need a new iPhone. 
Lord, I really need a new golf club, or Lord, I really need a new whatever it might be. And, but, but we don't do that. We don't do that as a means to butter God up. But can we do this? If you're taking note, could we just do it as a means of honoring the Lord? Guys, praising Him, listen to me, even if the answer is no. What? Yeah, you guys know a lot about prayer. You know, right, There are God answers prayer. Does God always answer prayer, yes or no? He does, right? God always answers prayer. What are, what are the three ways He answers? Yes, no, and wait. That's really all they are, right? Now, now listen, let's be honest. Can, can we be honest in church this, this evening? Man, we love it when God, when, when God answers yes. Oh, Lord, I've been praying for this. Amen. You see him moving mightily in his yes, and you're doing the hallelujah dance, aren't you? Amen. You know what? You're, you're doing the floss, and you're just all kinds of dancing, man, just praising the Lord. Because yes is yes. I pray for that sister. Boom. And then sometimes God answers, and he says, wait, 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 wait. Maybe not yet. Hold on. Wait. And you're like, oh, okay. But God didn't say, he didn't say no, so it's still good. We're still good. God, I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm praying. And, and, and then God answers, what's the other one? It's yes, wait, and what's the last one? No. I, guys, let's be honest. We hardly ever rejoice when God answers no. I was like, praise the Lord. What happened? He said No. But you really wanted it. I know, but praise God, he said no. We don't. What do we do? What happened? God, just, he didn't really, you know what I mean? We, we get so bummed. But the answer is still God answers. Now, let's, let me do this, okay? Go in your mind. Okay, don't go too far. But can you think of something you asked for that God said no? That looking back now, you're like, oh, thank God. Thank God he said no. Woo, man, I'd be in a mess. I'd be in a mess. But, but when it happened, <laughs> we're just sad. How's it going? All right, what happened? I was praying a prayer. It usually has to do with somebody. Somebody you like, oh, that, that girl was so pretty, I liked her. I thought she was the one. How do you know? Well, when we prayed, I could just feel the spirit. I did. I thought she liked me too, but she didn't. I prayed, God, let there be my wife. And and then you find out years later, it's like, thank God. She'd be crazy. Let's rejoice in let's rejoice in the no. And I say this to you all because I know that the Lord's not I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to live what I preach. So I'm just like. Well, Abraham, what does he do, guys? Well, he shows us great hospitality. And what are we reminded of? If you weren't here last week, remember, hospitality is not dependent upon our house, but upon our hearts. Upon our hearts. Now, it's one thing when you invite somebody over. Hey, come on over. Let's have some, let's, you know, let's have some steaks. Let's, uh, let's come on over. We'll have some fellowship. And they come over, and you're preparing for them to come. That's wonderful. But what about when somebody just shows up at your house? Hey, we were in the neighborhood. You didn't call? Right? You should have called first. 
It's 7.45. I'm getting ready for bed, right? But God wants to show us that in our hearts... Okay, Joe, for you it's 6.45 because, I mean, I know... Yeah, don't go to Joe's past 6.45. But, but God shows us in our hearts that we should have a heart ready to receive and be hospitable towards them. Back in the day, do you remember? There was always a pot of coffee. Hey, come on in. Let's fell. How you doing? I haven't seen you. And you got to, you got to share. And, and let's be honest. Those are some of the sweetest moments that you would have missed. You remember that? We've changed. You guys know that we've changed, right? Do you remember? And, and I know the kids don't. I know, I know the kids won't remember this, but, but those of us that are a little bit older, 40s and up, we used to have a phone. You had no idea who was on the other end. It was like awesome, right? The phone would ring. You'd be like, I'll get it. Hello? You had no idea who it was. See, the older folks are going, oh, I remember that. And the problem was it only had a cord that went about this far. You know, it didn't go very far. It was so cool. And when someone knocked on the door, they'd come over and the floor would go, I'll get it. And we just opened the door because we were excited for people. Now it's different, isn't it? Now we have caller ID. Oh, I ain't answering it for them. Oh, what are they doing? Call me. They'll leave a voicemail, right? They'll leave a voicemail. Or how many of you do this? Someone comes knocking at your door and you look behind the curtains. Don't say a word. Your dog's going, rawr, 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 right? And you're just like, shh, shh. Abraham teaches us, guys, that hospitality is not dependent on our house, but on our hearts. Ready to receive. Imagine, guys, think about this. You're sitting on your front porch. You're drinking your iced tea. You're having a great time. It's hot. You're just like, okay. This is crazy. Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up. Next thing you know, you're having supper with Jesus. You're having supper. I mean, and Sarah, guess what she makes? She makes hot cakes. They're hot and they're cakes. I don't know. But we would call them biscuits. There she makes biscuits. And, and, and again, think about it. These are biscuits for God. She's making biscuits. Abraham makes a great meal. And there you are. And you're having a wonderful meal with Jesus. I want you to picture your kitchen or dining room where you spend most of your time. Could you imagine the Lord being in your kitchen? You're just having a great meal with him. You know, Pastor, that would be so cool. That'd be, but he's there all the time. He's there all the time. Here, here's a quick note, okay? Uh, if you get nothing else from this message, get this. Don't you love that Jesus, in a Christophany or theophany, in his glorified body, still can eat? Aren't you glad about that? You go, what do you mean? Because I think when we get to heaven, we're still going to be able to eat. It's going to be so cool. I love the fact. I love that, right? Because now, I mean, if I just look at a Big Mac, I gain weight. Okay, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, so I'm just Sunday morning. I'm just looking at the donuts. You seen that? You seen that meme, right? Where the guy smells the burger and then eats the apple, right? He's like, right? And they say that if I mean, that's how we do. That's how we are, right? We're just like, man, put on a few pounds. I'm so glad when we get to heaven, we're gonna have glorified. We'll be able to eat. We'll be able to eat the burger, right? 
We'll be able to eat the donuts. You know that in, in heaven, no calories count, right? There's no calories. You, you with me on that, Tiff? You, you, you excited about that? Yeah. Jesus, didn't, he's eating, man. And I'll be just like, where are you putting that? that? Lord, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so what happens, guys? Well, we pick up the story. Look, he said, and then he said to him, where's, where's Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent, which was behind him. And we give Sarah a hard time that she was eavesdropping. But she's excited. It's the Lord. And so what happens, she goes, hey, by the way, Sarah's going to have a baby. In her response, right? What was her response? Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. What does that mean in the Hebrew? She was almost dead. That's what it means. She was so old, she was almost dead. And so he says, man, we're old, right? We can't, we can't have kids. I mean, I mean, first of all, she's looking at Abraham going, seriously? You're like 100. Bro, you're in bed by like 7.30. How's this going to go? And then he looks at Sarah, and he's like, Sarah, look. I mean, this is not going to work. You're way past childbearing. There's no way, right? And so that's what Sarah's thinking, Right? And she says this, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure with my Lord being old also? I like that she calls Abraham Lord, don't you? I asked Nathalie to do that one time, and I got shut down pretty bad. I said, call me Lord. I'm Lord of the manor. I'm Lord of the house. She's like, Psh, no. So anyway, so she calls him Lord, and, and she says this, and, and, and she said, and the Lord said to Abraham, Right? Well, why did Sarah laugh? Surely she should bear a child when I am old. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer to that, gang? What's the answer to that? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. At the appointed time, he says, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And she said, no, but you did laugh. But you did laugh. Okay? That's where we left off last week. Well, today we continue, but the scene changes, okay? Okay, the scene changes. He's made the promise. Now, here's what you need to grasp. Okay, now we're going to get a little serious. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, I didn't want to talk about this. But the overall theme of chapter 18 and 19, guys, now listen, is that God does not overlook our sin. Okay? In other words, the central theme is God does not ignore our sin. There is judgment coming for those who are found in sin. In sin. There's judgment. You will, Pastor, give me an example. Well, guys, go back in your mind to Genesis chapter 3. You know the story. Adam and Eve, they sin. They sin. And sin comes in and fractures everything. And our holy God, he doesn't ignore that. He's not going, oh, Eve, what did you do? Adam! Well, Eventually, they'll die, so we'll just... Doesn't, God doesn't do that, right? He has to deal with that. He has to deal with that, right? And so what does he do? He deals with it. He pronounces judgment to who first? To the serpent. He says, man, listen, you might have legs. Now you're going to walk on your belly. We know that. And he tells the man, listen, here's your judgment. You're going to toil and work the ground all the days of your life. So if you came in here today from work and you're tired, there you go. Blame Adam. 
Or should we say blame? Anyway, so again, then he pronounces judgment on Eve, doesn't he? Why? Because he said this. Now, women, you give me a hand. He says, in childbirth, it's going to be painful. Yeah. And those of you who've had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, Eve, wait till I get to heaven. And those of you who have not, whoa, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. But there's judgment. Why? Because then he, what does he do, guys? But then he drives them out of Eden. Because you can't come back here. That's judgment. Another example of God not ignoring sin is we know this, Genesis chapter 6. This would be Noah and the, and the flood, right? It, come on, guys. It's not that hard. Stay with me. Noah and the flood, right? Think about it. Right? This was his judgment on a sinful and evil world, guys. Eight people survived. Only eight. God looked down, and I mean, the way he describes humanity in chapter 6, he says they're evil and they're wicked. Oh. Well, in chapter 18 and 19, guys, it follows the same suit. You go, what do you mean? Well, there's sin in the camp. Well, not in Abraham's camp, but their sin in a place called Sodom in the twin city called Gomorrah. And what I love about chapter 18, guys, is that we see Abraham interceding for Sodom. It's a great prayer of faith, and he begins asking the Lord to spare the cities. Now, as I was driving to work this morning, I was thinking about the text, and what we'll learn in the next few minutes is that Abraham ends his prayer. Now, listen to me. He says, if there's only 10 righteous people, and, and every time we read this text, we tend to be real negative towards Abraham. Like, we want to admonish him. Dude, why didn't you ask for five? Why didn't you just say if there was one righteous Lord? But he stops at 10. He stops at 10. But I thought, you know what? Here's what I, want, here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to look at it negative. Guys, I don't want to look at it negative. I want to look at it as, as positive. I want to focus on the positive. Why? Because the hope we have that we want to pull out of this text is that we can intercede for somebody else. We can do that. That's the hope. That you can go to the throne room of Almighty God and you can pray for your country and for your kids and for your school, and for your church, and you can pray for your pastor. If you're taking note, guys, the text is broken up into two sections. In verses 16 to 22, we see a conversation as the angels are going to head over towards Sodom. And then in verses 23 through 33, we see that Abraham is going to be interceding on the, on the behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, just kind of keep this in mind. The latter part will move real quick because it's just going to be him and, him and the Lord talking, interceding, okay? But here's what I want you to jot down. If you're taking note, Webster defines intercession like this, the action of intervening on behalf of another, the action of saying a prayer on the behalf of of another person. So that's how Webster just Webster says this is what intercession is. So we're going to see Abraham do that. So with that as our intro, let's look at our text for tonight, guys. Pick up your Bibles. Genesis 18 and 16 starts with, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Now, if you're just taking note, just kind of keep this in mind. This was the custom of the day. They would walk the guests out just a little while, and that's kind of how it was. You just kind of do that. I don't know if you're old school, but but that happens today too. Whenever I go to my father-in-law's house, um, and any time we leave, he will walk us out the door and stand in the driveway and bid, bid us farewell. It's just a custom. You know, a lot of times we'll just, you know, people will leave your house and you'll just say, all right, see you next time or whatever. But custom was to walk them out the door. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's just following customary rules, right? But where are they headed? Well, I don't know, because in Genesis 18, they appeared, but now they're moving towards Sodom and they're headed towards Sodom. And you're just like, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Right? Now, question. You ready? Who do we know that's in Sodom? Exactly. Abraham's nephew, he, he's there. He's, he's in Sodom. He's living among them. As a matter of fact, do you remember? What is he doing? It's going to tell us next week that he's actually an elder in the city. It's like, what? What? And so now he sees the angels walking towards Sodom. And he's thinking, what? Notice verse 17. It says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, here's what I want you to know, okay? It says that the angels have sort of moved off, and now, and the Lord is talking, or, or, or kind of staying back. But he says something, and he says, he says, and the Lord said, and I have to think, who's he talking to at this point? Is he talking to the angels? Is he talking within himself? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I know it was written for us. So we can get an idea of what's happening. So it's one of those things where it's like, well, who's the Lord talking to? Most people think he's just talking to the angels as he begins to walk. Maybe Abraham was following a little bit behind. But he says, here's what he says. Should I hide from Abraham? Do you guys remember? What did he call Abraham in the previous chapters? A friend of God. Do you remember that? Abraham's God's friend. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Okay. And, he, and, and again, I know the Lord is saying, he says, shall I hide? And go, why? Because Abraham's going to be a mighty nation. As a matter of fact, kings are going to come from him. Okay, so let me just, here's a quick, quick, quick quiz, pop quiz. Who loves pop quiz? If, if God just said kings come from Abraham, what king came from Abraham? Shout it out. Okay, another king before Jesus. Go ahead, sister, say it. She's like, she's like this, David. <laughs> yes, you got it, David. King came from Abraham. Kings are coming from him, right? He says, nations will be blessed by you. And so the angels left and went to Sodom. Christ stayed behind to visit with Abraham. What a scene. Christ is not going to hide anything from his friend. But here's what I love. If you're taking note, jot this down. John chapter 15 for us. Verses 14 and 15 says this, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing. Remember, the Old Testament is going to give us, the New Testament is going to reveal. What's he saying? He's saying that Christ promises to reveal his will to his friends. And because you've accepted him, you are his friend. He's going to show you his will. Now, let me bring out this point, okay? 
Abraham, right now, he knows more about what's going to happen there in Sodom than even his nephew Lot, who lives in Sodom. Okay? You go, Ben, what's the point? Bring it. When we walk close to Jesus, guys, he gives us insight on what's going on more than those who are actually living in the world. You guys with me? You go, okay, so explain it. Okay, think about this. When we see things happening in the world that line up with, say, Ezekiel 38 or 39, or we see uh, just prophecy coming, and, or, or we see all of this happening like in the book of Daniel. When we see that on headlines, guys, God gives you, because you're his friends, he gives you insight, and he begins to tell you time is short, and the world, think about it, they don't really seem to know what's happening. They don't know what's happening. You go, case in point, on May 9th, on May 9th, Iran, okay? Iran, okay, and the Trump administration began sanctions on Iran. Iran saying, "Mm mm-mm, we're not going to put up with this. They go to the European Union, okay, and they say, you better vote with us against the Trump administration, or we're not going to play nice to you, with you. We're going to, and they just, all these threats. This is clashing. We're asleep. This is clashing on May 9th. And you go, what happens? The European Union actually steps up and says, no, 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 no. We're going to side with the United States. You guys have not been playing well. You're, you're building nuclear weapons and, and all of these things. And all of a sudden, Iran gets furious because the UN is now siding with the, with the Trump administration. Now, here's the point. The world goes, that's Middle East stuff. That's always happened. There's always been sanctions. There's always been war, blah, 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 blah. But you and I, because we're friends of God and he's shown us what he's doing through the scriptures, we're going, whoa. Because the Iran is a huge part of end times prophecy. And how they're gonna, how they're gonna get an ally like Russia. Different kinds of. You guys see what I'm saying? The world goes, what? And we go. Here's the point. Listen to me. Okay, if you get nothing else out of this message, know this: Jesus is coming back soon. It's written. He's coming back. And he's, it's so close, church, listen to me. It's so close that he literally could come in the next five seconds. It's the imminent return of God. We don't know. We don't know. Now, here's what happens. I look at my precious sisters out here. They graduated college. They have their whole life. I see young kids. And here's how I used to think, oh, Lord, I want you to come back, but... I want to get married first. I want to have, and, and, I, and I had my list. And listen, listen, sisters, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you this. Plan your life like he's not coming back for 100 years. Find the husband of your dreams. Sorry, sister. Find the husband of your dreams. Get married. But live your life like he's coming back in the next five seconds. 
Plan it, go for it, enjoy, but live it. Because the world goes, what? And we go, we know. Is 2009, is 2020 the year that Jesus, I don't know, but I want to be ready. I want to be ready. That's just one example. That's just one example. Well, in verse 19, it says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children, talking of Abraham, and his household after him, that he keeps the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, and the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now, this is amazing, because I want you to see what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying, I have chosen him in order that he may command his sons, his descendants, to what? To obey me and to do what is right and just. That's what he's saying, right? What's he saying? Jot this down. The responsibility is for to learn and grow goes to, drumroll please, the parents. That's what he just said. He said, Abraham, listen, you're going to be mighty nations, but listen, the responsibility for them to grow physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually is not dependent on my Sunday school teachers. It's dependent on the parents. We have to be so careful, church, where people go, well, I send them to church. That should be enough. They go to church and, and, and they go to school. Now, now listen, I, I found these interesting statistics. Actually, uh, it was a recent poll shared by Pastor Skip. He said this, and I quote, 16% of all learning happens to children at school. 16% of all their learning and, and everything happens at school. If you add Sunday school, 17% happens. So 17% of their life happens at school. You guys know this, right? You know because teachers, they're, they're busy. They're just got, they just have a full plate. They're not literally pouring into your kid for eight hours. They're busy going, oh, Johnny, come over here. Why did you do that? Stop. Everybody sit down, please. Ah! Yeah. Amen. That means 83% of the growth of a child comes from being taught at home. See, our kids learn at home more than any other place. And please let us not make the mistakes of saying, do as I say, not as I do, because they'll watch you. They'll watch you. It is not an easy task by any means. It's not. And nobody's going, hey, come on, you've got to buckle down. You've got to work hard. You've got to be, listen, you have to, you have to sacrifice maybe some of the TV shows you like so that your children don't go, oh, what was that about? What was this about? Why were you watching that? Why were you watching that? You remember I painted the picture of Jesus at your table having supper with you? Could you imagine if you invited him into the living room and he said, and you said, okay, Lord, I'm going to watch something on TV. You want to watch with me? How selective would you be? And so you, you just put on what you watch. You, you're watching something and all of a sudden you feel the Lord watching you and you're like, hey, Lord, don't you want to watch TV? He goes, no, I want to watch you. I don't want to watch TV anymore. I'm good. Let's read the Bible. <laughs> Let's read, Lord, tell, right? But, but the point is, point is we got to be careful because listen the little eyes in your house are watching you they're watching you and that's what he's telling abraham this is what i tell abraham he's like abraham this is it teach your children 
Keep the way of the Lord. Teach him to do what's right. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but nowhere in this scripture did it say that they were going to be perfect and they weren't going to make mistakes. It just says, teach them. Give them a chance. Olivia, Nathalie, Sunday school teachers, they're in here. And then we have your kids, literally, we have your kids for one hour, maybe an hour and a half, twice a week. Maybe. We, what our, what our children's ministry should be doing is reiterating what you're already teaching them at home. That should be the goal. Okay, what's mom and dad teaching you? Right? And we should be reiterating that. There's so many things I'm thinking about. Like, like you know, little Johnny, right? The, the pastor comes over and mommy says to little Johnny, Johnny, go get mommy's favorite book. And he comes back with the Sears catalog. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, no! What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them? I got to move on because I'm running out of time. But that's exactly what he says. You know, I saw, I saw a video on one of the internet sites, Facebook or something, and it was about a homeless man. And the, 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 the experiment where there's a camera and the guy comes and he drops his wallet. I don't know if you've seen that. And the homeless man is sitting there and he looks. He wants to see if the homeless man who needs money is going to give it back. So he picks it up. He's like, hey, hey, and he gives it back. And the guy says, why did you give me my wallet back? This is crowded full of street. You're homeless, right? He's like, yeah, you need money. He goes, yeah. He says, because I was taught to do what is right. And the homeless man, said, oh, the, the guy goes, here, this is, we're just doing an experiment. Here's $500. Then he goes, and they, they follow him, right? He's like, oh, thank you. Then he goes, and he buys food for other homeless people because he was taught to do what was right. And I was thinking about that. Guys, that should be our mantra. We need to do what's right as we honor the Lord, regardless of our circumstances. Well, it goes on in Genesis chapter 20, and the Lord said, because... The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great because their sin is very grave. All go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it, that it has come to me. If not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Now, let's chat for just a moment. Here's the question we've got to ask. Who's crying, against, who's, who, who, who's crying out against Sodom? Who's going, God, please, right? I, first of all, I thought it was Abraham. Abraham might have been. He's, he pitched his tent. He knows that Sodom's there. Lord, please. But then I thought, you know who? Maybe, maybe it was Lot. You go, Ben, Lot, he's sitting at the gate, right? He's an elder. Well, maybe he's been the one praying that God would change his city. Because think about what, what 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 says. It says this, but God who also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. That just, that just jumped out at me. Because why? Because maybe it was Lot going, God, please, I, I'm here and I want to change the city. I don't know. And sometimes we get caught. And maybe he was crying out. He's crying out. All I know is there's a there's a there's some the Lord's going. I'm, I I hear an outcry, but here's what I want you to catch. What did the Lord just say? He said, "Let me go check it out. Let me go check it out." Why is that important? Here, jot this down. 
Because God's not a reactive God. God's not reactive. He's not going, oh, look at this, right? He's not reactive, guys, and that's for our benefit. Before he ever judges, he's going to go check it out. I'm going to go down. I'm going to see for myself. Now, here's the point. When, when it comes to judgment, God is not reactive. Let's say he's proactive. And you go, Pastor, how so? How is so? Because he sent his son Jesus to take our place. Judgment was poured out on him. Even though Sodom was a mess, the Lord says, I'm going to see for myself. I'm going to see for myself. In verse 21, the the language where he says, I'll go down is the same, it resembles the same language used at the Tower of Babel. Remember when the Lord said, let me go down, let me go check it out, right? Now, Abraham realizes, guess what? My nephew is in Sodom. So now he begins to intercede. He begins to intercede for him, I believe, as well as others. Notice this. We're picking it up. Second part of the is the is Abraham's prayer to the Lord. Look at verse twenty three. And Abraham came near and said, "Why would you destroy the righteous with the wicked?" Lord, suppose there were fifty righteous within the city, would you also destroy the place and not spare the fifty? The fifty righteous that were in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Okay, here's the dialogue. You guys ready? Verse 26, the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now, your attention, why is he dialoguing with that? I mean, God knows, doesn't he? God's like, really, we're going to have this conversation? Lord, if there's only 50... I'll humor you, Adam. I mean, Abraham, I'll humor you because, okay. And he says, um, yeah, amen, brother. If there's 50, I'll spare it. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, who am I but dust? And ashes have taken upon my life to speak to the Lord. Amen. Can I just, can I just stop you right there? I've heard so many people go, you know, Jesus showed up in my bedroom and I was sleeping, he sent him to the foot of my bed, and I said, Jesus! And, he's, and I'm going, dude, this is Abraham, and he's like, he's talking to the Lord, he's like, listen, I am nothing but dust and ashes. I mean, you see the humility. We need to show reverence to the Lord, and he's like, listen, I'm just, I'm talking to you, and I know, I know my place, and he says, but here's the thing. Listen, if there were five less than 50 righteous, would you destroy the city? And he said, if I find 45, he says, I won't destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Lord, don't be angry and I will speak. Suppose there were 30 found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. But I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. That's the dialogue. That's the intercession. He's praying. Most commentators will come and go, why did he stop at 10? 
Because we know the story, right? Because we know chapter 19. But let's pretend we didn't have chapter 19. I think we're in good. I think we're good. Man, we started at 50, got it to 10. Lord says, I'm not going to destroy the city if there are 10 righteous people. 10 righteous people. But I want to stay positive. What's the positive? First and foremost, Abraham is talking to God. If you want to know what prayer is, it is simply talking to God. Be careful, church. We don't want to get all pious. Lord Jesus, thank you. I mean, it's just talking to God. And, and we get caught up in, well, this is how we should pray. And the second thing we get caught up in praying is praying not so God hears, but so that other people hear. We, we pray. And we pray for the hearers, and we forget that God is listening. As a matter of fact, we don't even know God's listening. We're just like, I'm going to pray for and Lord. And, and, and we have all these prayers, and they're eloquent. But, but think about it, guys. It's just talking to God, and you go, what is it? What is prayer? It's pouring out our hearts to him. Abraham right now is seeking the benefit of others, the benefit of Lot and others. But note with me, guys, Note with me the structure of the prayer. You go, what do you mean? If you look at it closely, Abraham is not interceding for Sodom by grace. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Listen, he's actually interceding it by the judgment of God. Oh, I'm sorry, he lost me. Okay, stay with me. The way he says it, he says, how could God destroy the righteous with the wicked? He's not saying, God, please be merciful on them. He's saying, God, would you spare it if there were 10 righteous? Because far be it from you to destroy if there were righteous. So the structure's a little bit different. When we pray, we might pray upon the grace of God. We know there are sinners. We know people are lost, and we're praying for them with the grace of God and the mercy of God. But here's what I want you to see. He says, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Everybody see that in verse 23. Now, again, this speaks volumes in the light of the New Testament. You go, well, how so? Our heavenly father at Calvary actually punished the righteous one instead of the wicked. So when you look at the structure, you go, oh, wait a minute. He's, he's, he's presenting the gospel right here because he's, He's actually going to punish the righteous one instead of the wicked. Abraham's trying to go on, the, on behalf, right? I will pour out my wrath on the righteous one to spare the wicked. Will the wicked be spared if there's one found righteous? Only if that one is Jesus Christ. Only if that one. That's why it's so important, listen to me, that you put your faith and trust in Jesus. That's, that's it. That's it. Here's why. This life will soon be passed. It will. If you get 70, 80, 90 years, you're doing great. But one day, this life is going to be over. We know it. We don't like to think about it. And that's why we hate. We say, man, listen, how am I saved? I'm saved. I'm saved by putting my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, the question I've got to ask tonight is, 
Why did Abraham stop at 10? Why did Abraham stop at 10? Well, if you do the math, Lot and his wife had four daughters and two sons-in-law, okay? That's eight people right there. He's thinking, I've raised four daughters, okay? They're righteous. They got married. Uh, I don't really like our son-in-laws real good, but maybe they're saved. And then all Lot had to do, guys, is witness win two neighbors to the Lord, and that would have been 10 people. That's all. His family and two people. You go, Pastor, what's the point? Well, next week we're going to see that he failed. He failed. It's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. Why? Because sometimes we get so introverted in our neighborhoods, in our houses, in our lives, that we forget that we actually have neighbors that we need to share Jesus with. And I bet Lot got so caught up in being an elder and sitting at the gates that he didn't want to offend anybody by telling them, and now there's 10. Lord, is there 10? Well, now we're going to find out. Is there 10 righteous? You guys remember, you guys remember Lot's son-in-laws when he went and told them judgment is coming? What did they do? They laughed. They thought he was joking. They never took him serious. Well, let's close our Bible study, guys, with some practical applications in, in about prayer and interceding, okay? Number one, the worship team is going to come back up and give us one final song, but number one, okay, remember that God commands us to pray for others throughout Scripture. We have to do it. He tells us. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So James says, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that the supplication, prayers, and intercessions and givings of thanks be made for all men. So, so Timothy's saying we need to pray. For who? Kings and all those who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So we need to be praying for others. The best way I've found is you need, you need a prayer journal. You need to write people's name. This is who I'm praying for. This is who I'm praying for. Number two, your question might be this evening, how, pastor, how do we intercede for others? I've got seven things real quick. I'm not going to go into them in depth, but let me just give you seven things. The first way, it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be from the heart. You, you have to intercede for others from the heart. The closer you walk with Jesus, the closer you will see his heart, and his heart is always for people. What's the second thing? Do it regularly. Do it regularly. Prayer times, unfortunately, are some of the most inconsistent times there is. And if we sit down and you say, this is the time I pray, do it regularly. Number three, to intercede for somebody, do it in detail. If you're praying for somebody to get saved, be praying, Lord, save them. Fill them with your spirit, God. Be in detail. 
If you're praying for healing, be specific. What are we praying for? We're praying that the cancer is, is gone. We're praying that this person can walk again. We're praying that this marriage can be put back together. This is how we're praying. Number four, we pray with faith and love in God. In other words, we're trusting in his sovereignty, but we're still praying. Number five, how we intercede for others is fervently, fervently. That's us. Number six, I think we should intercede with a desire to help where we can. You see, it's, it's, it's not enough for us to pray for somebody who needs help financially if we have the means to help them financially. It's not enough to pray for somebody to be warm and filled and don't go hungry when you have a house full of food. We have to do it with a desire to go, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray. How can I pray to help? It might be financially, it might be food, but it might even be you that God uses. So they hear the gift, they hear the beautiful invitation of salvation. It might be you. And then last but not least, you can jot this down, how we intercede for others occasionally with fasting. Occasionally with fasting. And we show God how serious we are to pray for others. We fast. Pastor, your point, pray for others. Pray for others. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the truths that we learned. And Lord, just um, how we can grow in you. And so, Lord, as we learned about worship, I pray that our hearts and our minds are in tune with you. And as we sing this last song, Lord, that we we would worship you. So open up our heart, Lord, and help us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.